Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you. Thanks for being with us. Uh, the 930 service on a rainy Sunday uh, and braving the weather. Uh, as Carson just prayed, my name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy, truly a joy to be together on the Lord's Day and this third Sunday of Advent. Uh, and uh, every year on the third Sunday of Advent, as happened earlier, we light the pink candle as the tone of joy becomes a little bit louder than the past few weeks of Advent. And we're reminded that though things may feel dark and at times we feel despairing, hope is not lost. That we have not been left alone in this tragic and sad world. Our King is coming. And all that we have been waiting for is soon to be fulfilled. This morning we are going to look at the song of Simeon. We've been in a series this Advent, the songs of Christmas, looking at the original Christmas hymns found in Luke chapters 1 and 2. And we're going to look at Simeon's song. Uh, Simeon's one of my favorite people in Scripture. Uh, and this song is known as Nunc Dimittis. It's Latin title taken from the first two words of Simeon's song, meaning, now you let depart. And so if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to give attention to God's Word in Luke 2, verses 25 to 35. Uh, you have pew Bibles, Bible will be on the screen, uh, also in your bulletin. So this is God's word to us this morning from Luke chapter 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Lord God, we ask in this Advent season for you to come, Lord Jesus. To come, and we pray now that you, by your Spirit, through your Word, would come, that we might encounter you, that we might behold Jesus in this time. I pray that it would not be merely my words, but it would be your Word, and that you would pierce our hearts and transform us I do pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I don't know if you know that in 2012, uh, a new field of work began, and it became a craze. It's the field of wantology, which is the business of helping people or businesses discover what they truly desire or want. For the past number of weeks, children have been crawling onto the lap of Santa all across our country, and Santa has been asking each child, what do you want for Christmas? This is a great Advent question for us to consider. 
What do you really want for Christmas? The problem is that many of us don't know what we really want. That's why there's a demand for a wantologist. Uh, not long after Tim Cook, the current CEO of Apple, took over Apple for the deceased Steve Jobs, he said the whole role of the company is to give people something they didn't know they wanted. Sometimes it's hard for us to know what we really want because we live in a world that entices us with luxuries, feeds us narratives to live by, and you put on top of that, there's a speed at which we live with numerous distractions that fill our lives, and this has prevented us from being alone with ourselves and with God long enough so that we can really name and be honest about our deepest desires and wants. Our, our society tells us to, to want just a little bit more money, a little bit more romance, comfort, influence, power. I many of you know the quote from John D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest people in our country, who was asked how much money is enough, and he said just a little bit more. Tom Brady, after winning seven Super Bowl rings, was asked if he was finally satisfied, and he said, no, I want two more rings. If we allow Apple or any other company to entice us to live for luxuries, if we allow our culture to dictate the narratives that we live by, I promise you we will find ourselves unfulfilled. There is one person and one story that meets our deepest wants and desires. And Simeon, a man of obsession and a man of wanting, reveals to us who this is and how to live in light of this story. I want us to enter our passage in, in Luke chapter 2. Imagine you're there. You're in Jerusalem, which was a major tourist destination. It had one of the major wonders of the world, the temple built by Herod. You're part of a large crowd. Tens of thousands of people are buzzing around the temple, and, and someone nudges you in the arm and says, hey, look at that old man over there. He's always here, and there's not a day that goes by that he's not here. He keeps showing up, and he's a little bit crazy. He comes here every day thinking he's going to see the Messiah, the consolation of Israel. And, and you, you see people laughing at this crazy old man. Most are walking by him, paying him no attention. But some might stop and ask him, Simeon, what are you doing? And he responds, I'm going to see the Messiah, the consolation of Israel. And then he's asked, well, why are you doing this? And he says, because God told me that I was not going to die until I laid my eyes upon his anointed one. And then you see Simeon look up, and he, he catches a glimpse of a really young couple, a teenage mother carrying a newborn baby, father carrying two pigeons, which was their sacrifice as they headed to the temple for purification rites, two pigeons would signify poverty to everyone at the temple on this day. This couple had no riches. They were not flaunting their piety, so no one would pay them any attention. But Simeon notices them. And he goes over to them, and he, he asks the couple if it would be okay to hold their baby in his arms. And they say, sure, just be careful with him. Don't drop him. And Simeon looks down at the baby's face, and he looks into the infant's eyes, and Simeon's eyes swell with tears. And he burst out into singing, 
a song about this child who he has been waiting for for a very long time. And he blesses the father and mother, and then he tells Mary what is true of her child. This has been Simeon's obsession. This is what he has been waiting for his whole life. And now that he has received it, he sings, Nunc Dimittis, now you let depart. He is pretty much saying, I am now ready to die. Now I can rest in peace. This morning, I want us to learn two things from Simeon. How to wait and how to rest. How to, how to wait and how to rest in peace. Uh, let's look first at how to wait. I'm not sure about you, but waiting does not come naturally for me. Uh, I've, I've watched the movie Zootopia, I don't know how many times, with three boys. I've watched it a number of times. They love, they love Zootopia. There's a great scene when they go to the DMV. If you've seen the movie, you know the scene. The animals working at the DMV are sloths, and they move super slow. It's a hilarious scene because, as many of you know, the DMV can be a painful experience of waiting. And this is how we often think about waiting. Excruciating endurance until you finally get what you want. Waiting is often something we do with teeth clenched until we get out of the situation. But the Greek word for waiting that Luke uses could be rendered ready to receive to oneself. It's a term that expresses an eagerness to welcome in, not just to get out. Simeon counted the days to receive what God had promised. He wanted to see the Messiah, the consolation of Israel, and so he waited not with clenched teeth, not with passivity, but rather with an eagerness and an active participation to welcome in. There's three things that I want us to see about Simeon's waiting that helps us learn how to wait. The first thing is that he walked with God. He walked with God. Verse 25, Simeon was righteous and devout, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was a man of prayer, of worship, and scripture, led by the Holy Spirit. Simeon was well acquainted with the ways of God. He spent most of his long life at the temple in communion with God. Have you ever had the experience of spending so much time with someone that you begin to imitate the other person's mannerisms? Or maybe you're able to kind of finish their sentences because you know what they're going to say. Uh, One of my best friends growing up was a, a guy named Adam Preston. He lived just a few blocks from me in my neighborhood, and we played together every day. We learned to play sports together. We learned to dance to hip-hop together. We started dating, uh, started talking about dating girls together. And, and I often found that we would mirror each other's motions. I, I, would, I would replicate his bat and swing. He'd replicate my basketball shot. We would imitate each other on the dance floor. But there's one thing that, that I wanted to imitate the most about Adam. It was his distinct walk. Adam, Adam was a really good athlete, and, and he walked pigeon-toed and kind of walked with a strut. And I always thought it was the coolest walk in the world. And so I found myself, I'm not pigeon-toed, but I'd walk pigeon-toed thinking I was Adam Preston, right? I would imitate his walk. The more time you spend with God, the more you will walk like him. Simeon knew God. In the pattern of his steps, God had held Simeon's head, held his hand, And so while we wait, we are welcomed in to walk with God, 
and to know him as he holds our hands and leads us in his ways. The second thing we learn about how to wait from Simeon is to show up. Right? Waiting is not simply being passive. It's, it's not being stopped at a red light and getting frustrated and then biding our time until the light turns green. But rather, there is an active participation. Simeon kept showing up at the temple every day. And the number of days that Simeon went home disappointed were too many to count. But he would wake up the next day and he would show up at the temple and he would ask, is today the day? And I'm sure the older Simeon got, he wondered, did I mishear God? Maybe, maybe God didn't tell me I wouldn't die until I saw the Messiah. I'm sure he questioned, God, did your plans change? But Simeon continued to show up. He continued to welcome in what each new day might hold. The last thing that Simeon teaches us about waiting is to live with open hands. We don't know what Simeon expected when he trusted God's word that he would see the consolation of Israel. I am pretty sure, though, that a baby in the arms of a poor teenage girl wasn't it. This was not the expectation. But Simeon was willing to accept that this is the way God is working. The salvation belongs to God, that God will deliver in his way. Simeon kept showing up with expectancy, but was humble and open-handed, trusting that God would be God, that God would work in his ways, not always according to Simeon's wishes. God is not a spiritual Santa Claus, asking us if we've been naughty or nice, if we've been good or bad, and then granting us our wishes. A lot of times we submit our hopes and our desires in humility before God, and then we live open-handed, trusting God that his ways are better than our ways. Simeon waits. He welcomes God in. He welcomes God's ways into his life. He, he walks with God. He shows up, and he lives open-handed. And then the day comes, the day he's been waiting for all these years, the long-expected one's arrival, the Messiah King the consolation of Israel, the one who will establish God's kingdom and bring it to consummation, and his name is Jesus. And all the wanting of Simeon is met in Jesus this day. And he says, I have seen him. I have looked into the face of my Savior. My eyes have seen salvation. In essence, Simeon says, I don't have to watch him grow up. I don't need to watch him in his public ministry. I don't need to see the transfiguration. I don't need to see the miracles. I don't need to be an eyewitness to the cross or the resurrection, for my eyes have seen the face of Jesus. This is enough. Now I can depart. Now I can die in peace. John Coltrane is, in my opinion, one of the greatest jazz musicians of all time. Toward the end of his life, uh, he had become a Christian and was inspired to write some of his best works, specifically A Love Supreme. And supposedly the story is told that Coltrane got up on stage late in life and he played his finest performance of A Love Supreme. And as he was getting off the stage, someone heard him utter, Nunc Dimittis, now I can depart in peace. Coltrane's deepest desire was met, playing his finest performance of his greatest song. 
Simeon is now ready to die because he has received what he has always wanted, the consolation of Israel. But how would this baby bring about the consolation of Israel, this kingdom longed for? Well, Simeon's song and his blessing of Mary tell us about this infant king and his salvation, which enables us to truly rest in peace. So that's the second point I want us to look at. How do we rest in peace? And many researchers have stated that we're a nation of anxiety, that anxiety is the current universal disease. We are unsettled with worry. I mean, we live in a moment of history, right, it's where wars are taking place. That's no different. But we no longer just read about the horrors of war. People can boast in their acts of violence by posting videos of their atrocities on social media for the whole world to see. Two-thirds of our country say they're deeply worried about the election year of 2024. A college student in the New York Times in 2018 said, if in 2018 you're not anxious, something's wrong with you. Anxiety, it's a shared cultural experience. Constant news feeds, social media, pressures to perform, all of this heightens anxiety. We can be honest, we worry about our friendships We worry about finding a spouse or the health of our marriage. We can worry about our children or our aging parents, our jobs, our retirement accounts, and the list goes on. And if we're really honest and self-reflective enough, we worry about our selfishness and our pride and our rage and our jealousy of others and our gossip and our harsh words, and peace feels elusive. Simeon sings about Jesus, and he tells Mary about Jesus, that in Jesus' coming, we can rest in peace because Jesus will bring world peace, and he offers us personal peace. Look at what he says about world peace. He sings in verse 32, the Messiah will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I mean, Simeon singing this at the Jerusalem temple would have sent shockwaves out. I mean, people would have been saying, who is this crazy old man singing in the middle of the temple about Gentiles receiving the Messiah? And what Simeon sees in the face of infant Jesus is a salvation for all people. Simeon sees a kingdom that includes Ukrainians and Russians, Palestinians and Israelis, Democrats and Republicans, the single mother on food stamps and the venture capitalist with millions in the bank. Simeon sees peace on earth. Now catch this. As Simeon holds Jesus in his arms, Israel was not immediately delivered from Roman oppression. Mary and Joseph were still poor. In fact, life for the Jews would get worse. The temple would be destroyed and Jews would be scattered. But what Simeon saw in the face of Jesus was the faithfulness of God. Simeon knew Messiah is here. All will be well in this world. The arrival of Jesus is a confirmation that the promises of God are yes and amen. It's a confirmation that the king will usher in his kingdom, a kingdom of Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, every tongue, tribe, and nation. All tears will be wiped away and all darkness dispelled. Peace on earth is coming. So we can rest in peace 
even in the midst of this present darkness. Simeon also lets us know that Jesus brings personal peace. He tells Mary in verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. In the arrival of the Messiah, he causes individuals to fall and rise, which means he will raise up many who will believe in him and he will be offensive to many. That there is no neutrality with Jesus. There is no middle ground. There is no neutral observer. And so I have to ask you this morning, where are you in relation to Jesus? Is he the one in whom all your hopes and dreams are met? Simeon then tells Mary in verse 35, a sword will pierce your own soul so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. The collect of purity, which is a great prayer used in many Christian traditions, it begins this way. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secret is hidden. That's what Simeon is saying is true in the arrival of Jesus. That he knows your heart. He knows your inner dialogue. He knows your every word. He knows your every action, which means he knows your and my rebellion. It is unsettling to have anybody who knows all of us, right? That's scary. Much less a king of justice who knows all of our hearts. But King Jesus is not only just, he's merciful. For he would pierce the soul of his mother as he would willingly enter the darkness and the horror of Calvary to bear the punishment for the sins of the world, and he would hang on a cross as a convicted rebel in our place, and a sword would pierce his side, and you better believe as the sword went into his side, Mary, his mother's soul, was pierced. It would break her heart. But it is through the suffering and the death of the Messiah that we now are offered and find forgiveness of sin. And it's in forgiveness that we who are at odds with God are reconciled to God and live at peace with God. That in Christ, your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. And believing this and trusting in this, it will lead all of us to join the psalmist in Psalm 62 and sing, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. Simeon knew the consolation of Israel was not a change in a single circumstance or just one event. It was a person. The infant king who arrived unexpectedly would be the healing balm and peace for the world and for your and my soul. I want to give you a, a spiritual practice to try out this week. Something to practice every day leading up to Christmas Day. I want to invite you to every night before you close your eyes and go to sleep to end your day with Nunc Dimittis, Simeon's song in Luke 2, 29 to 32. It's actually been a spiritual practice for Christians for thousands of years. Monastic communities all around the world for thousands of years have ended their days by reciting Simeon's song. It's a way of being reminded God has been faithful again today. God is at work in this world and he will bring, bring peace on earth 
God is at work in my life. My heart is open. He knows all of me. He loves me for who I am. He forgives all my sin. And I can rest in personal peace. And so as I close my eyes and I lay my head on my pillow, I can rest in his peace. So my invitation to you every night this week, join in Simeon's song. Pray Simeon's song and may you find your anxiety and worry being replaced by the peace of Christ. Let me ask you again, what do you really want for Christmas? Jesus is the only one able to meet all of your longings and desires. It may not be immediate or in your timing, but the first arrival of Jesus means we can trust he will arrive again. And when he does, we will receive the full consolation. I want to end with one of my favorite quotes of C.S. Lewis. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Jesus is the one person and his kingdom is the one story worthy of all our wanting. We were made for another world, and it's coming. So let us wait and let us rest in peace as we long for the expected king's arrival. Let's pray. Lord God, give us your peace. Help us to wait and to welcome you in as you satisfy our hearts and we long for the full consolation of all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.